Good morning. I was uh, talking with Don last week after he preached his message, and I pointed out to him that he skipped a word. He had uh, 12 words, and he didn't preach in one of them. And uh, I'm going to try to undo something similar I did about a year ago. I preached a message, and uh, there was a verse I didn't really get into, because as I looked at that verse, I was like, well, there's another sermon in that verse. So you get that sermon today. Uh, first, I was going to show you a picture and uh, see how sharp you guys are this morning. Anybody tell me what that is? A dog? A what? Sand footprint in the sand, that's good. Right, well, okay, yeah, I, I think, yeah, Don had it there. It's a shadow. That's a shadow. Now, it is the shadow of a dog, right? And uh, that's, that's uh, what we want to think about today's shadows and what they represent. The verse that I skipped, actually it's two verses, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, where, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So there's the word shadow. Now the problem that the Colossians were facing was that uh, people were coming into the church and uh, teaching that they needed to observe the Jewish feasts and maybe other holidays as uh, a means of pleasing God. And Paul was countering that in this verse. He's saying, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. And then he explains why, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. What he was saying is all these holidays, these feasts were just shadows, right? But there's a substance behind that shadow. In this case, that substance is a, is a dog, right? There's a substance behind the Jewish feasts there's a real thing behind them, and that real thing is Christ, right? And what we want to do today is kind of look at how the Jewish feasts uh, portray or are a shadow of Christ and what Christ was to do in the work of salvation, how they represent what he did. Now, before we go there, I had a picture to show you. Now, I was, I was remembering... Um, that there was a particular picture that we took, Shannon and I took while we were in Hawaii for our honeymoon. And that's not it. But as I was going through, Shannon said, show them that one. So I showed that one to you. But uh, the picture I really wanted to show you is the next one. <laughs> and uh, that's my next question is what is, what is that? It's actually not taken from an airplane. Believe it or not. Mission Peak? Well, close. It's, 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 uh, it's almost a mountain, yes? Yeah, a volcano. But actually, once again, you're looking at a shadow. Now, you're looking at a shadow of what Sharon and I were standing on. We were standing on top of the volcano, and the sun was setting behind us, and it was casting the shadow of the mountain on the atmosphere. And that's what you're seeing. And uh, 
I like that because when we're talking about the shadow of Christ, we're talking about something really big. Okay, we're not talking about the shadow of a dog. We're talking about the greatest event that will ever happen in the universe. Right? And so as we're looking at this, we're really we're just kind of touching the top. Right? We're going to get a, a panoramic view of the work of salvation of Christ, as is shown in the Jewish feasts. Again, we won't have time to get into the details because Jesus is this big. Okay? I mean, much larger. The atmosphere cannot portray him faithfully. Right? It says that uh, the heavens and heavens cannot contain him, cannot contain Christ. But, uh, so we'll, with that, we'll go ahead and, and start looking at the feast. Of, we'll go through Leviticus chapter 23, not verse by verse, but, uh, because that is the chapter in uh, the law, the law of Moses, that lists the various holy days in, uh, in Israel, the holy days that they were commanded to, to remember or celebrate. So that will be our main text, but then we'll keep flipping to the New Testament, though I'll have the verses there to save you having to flip in your Bible, to see how they were fulfilled in Christ. <clears throat> okay, so the first one, Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So the first holy day is the Sabbath. And as we go through these holy days, I will try to point out five things about each one. So if you didn't get all five things, raise your hand, and we'll make sure you got it. But the timing, the timing here is every week. Every week you have a Sabbath. The seventh day right, of every week uh, is the Sabbath. Saturday, as, as our weeks go, uh, it'll have a distinguishing feature. The distinguishing feature of the Sabbath is, as the picture behind me shows, Rest, right? You're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Don't you want to be this guy? I'm sure listening to me is much nicer. <laughs> uh, then there's a purpose. The purpose of the Sabbath was to give us a day of rest, right? The, uh, the rabbis or Pharisees became kind of legalistic about it, and it actually became a burden for people. You weren't supposed to do this, and you weren't supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus cleared them out and said, you know, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It was made exactly for this purpose, right? To give us a day of rest, right? Now, fulfillment in Christ. How does, is this fulfilled in Christ? Um, I would suggest we look at Hebrews chapter 4. Again, the verses will be behind me. <clears throat> he says, therefore, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So God wants us to enter into his rest. And um, what does it mean to enter into the rest of God? Well, it means stopping, not trying to do works to make us pleasing to God. Right? We don't have to, to earn salvation. I don't have to uh, make it to heaven 
by my good works, right? And when I give up on that, I stop trying to do anything good to please God, to get into heaven, I'm now entered into his rest, right? Now, I, why, why are we entering into his rest? We were talking this morning about um, the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross, and we talked about uh, his words on the cross, where Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, that, that's one of the seven sayings of Christ from the cross. Anybody remembers what the last one was? It is finished. What did Jesus finish doing on the cross? Yeah, the work of our salvation. I will go to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross, which means I could do what? Picture, picture. <laughs> yeah, I can rest, right? I don't have to do anything to earn my way into heaven. Right? I enter into his rest. And now the fifth things I'll have for each of these holidays is an application. What's the application? If we keep reading in Hebrews uh, 4, verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. There's a danger that people are not entering into that rest. They're still trying to please God by their own works. They're trying to make it to heaven based on their good behavior, which will never work. And therefore, we need to diligently make sure we've entered his rest. We've come to the point where we are trusting in the complete work of Christ on the cross for us. Okay, so that's holiday number one. Seven to go. <laughs> um, so the next one is Leviticus um, chapter 23, verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. So Passover is the next feast. The timing of this feast, uh, it's the beginning of the Jewish year. Actually, the beginning of the year is, uh, is uh, the first month of spring. It should be the first month of the year. And the Passover is on the uh, 14th day, which is more or less the full moon, maybe the night right before the full moon. Now, because it's a lunar calendar, the uh, Jewish calendar is lunar, it, it hits a different time every year but it'll be sometime between the end of March and the end of April, depending which year you're on. Um, okay, that's the timing. Distinguishing feature, I have a picture for that too. Uh, the Jews were commanded to, I, I apologize, I gave them so many pictures, you know, they're, they're gonna have to uh, figure out which one I'm talking about. Um, you were, they were instructed to uh, take a lamb and kill the lamb, and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of the, of the houses. And then they were supposed to take what was, uh, maybe cook the lamb outside, take it inside, eat. They were supposed to stay the, the whole night. Uh, that's that's the, the, the Passover, the distinguishing features of the Passover. Now, what was the purpose? Well, the purpose was to remind them of God's deliverance in Egypt. So the Jews were slaves in Egypt, and uh, God sent Moses to save them. And Moses said, uh, went to Pharaoh and said the famous words, let my people go. And Pharaoh said the famous word, no. And so God had to demonstrate that he was God and Pharaoh would have to submit to him. And he did it by striking Egypt with a series of plagues or judgments. And the very last judgment was called the death of the firstborn. The firstborn in every household in Egypt was going to die. 
And God created a way for him to pass over the Jews. As he was judging all of Egypt, he should have judged the Jews too because they were also sinners. But God said, do this, take the lamb of the blood of a lamb and put it in the doorpost and stay inside. And as I'm going through Egypt and I'm going to strike every household with the death of the firstborn, I will step over your house and you will not be judged, right? That's why it's called Passover. God passed over the houses of the Jews. How is that fulfilled in Christ? Well, we have this verse for us in uh, John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So we're having here a Passover as well. Now this is a little bit of a different Passover. It talks about us passing from death into life. Now what it's speaking about is, uh, it has something else there, I'm sorry. Um, shall I get right? Shall not come into judgment. So right now, uh, we are uh, awaiting, if you would, God's judgment, right? We've we're, uh, been born into this world, and we are sinners. And God has to bring all of our sin into account. And there's a day of judgment in which everybody will have to stand before God and give an account for their sins. Now, God has made a way for us to, you know, kind of go around the judgment. In a sense, we're, we're going to pass <laughs> over it. It's not going to touch it. That's what Jesus is saying here. You know, whoever does what? Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Some people may hope, well, you know, I hope I may have done, you know, more good things than bad things. And somehow when God judges me, you know, maybe it'll be okay with me. Right, now, that's not going to happen. The Bible is clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the soul who sins shall die. So that's not really going to work, but we're completely going around. We don't even have to worry what's going to happen in the judgment. He says we'll pass from death, the state of being under the judgment of God because we're sinners, into life, immediately skipping the judgment seat and going directly into a state of eternal life, everlasting life. How does that happen? Well, it happens the same way here that happened here. The Jews had to put their faith, in that case, in the plan of salvation that God has made for them. Their plan of salvation was take a lamb, kill it, put the blood on the doorpost, and go inside. And as they were going inside, they were, in a sense, putting their faith in that blood, trusting the way that God has made, so that when God was going through Egypt and judging every household, he was going to pass over their house. In a similar way, we're putting our faith in Christ, really what he says over here. This is God's plan of salvation. Put your faith in me, trust in me, and what it is that I'm going to do for you. In that time, it was still future tense. And, and you will pass from death into life. You will never come into judgment. We get that same privilege today, to, to not have to get, go into judgment. We're saved from the judgment of God, but by what it was that Christ did for us. Now, uh, application, again, obvious. Uh, we want to put our faith in the blood, right? I mean, you could imagine the Jews being in the house and hearing the screams of the houses as the angel of death was passing through and, and house after house was losing their firstborn. 
What am I going to do when he comes here? Well, I should stay inside. I should trust, right? Put my faith in the blood, right? That was shed for me. That's what, what we need to do, right? We need to stay and trust in the plan of salvation that God has for us. Okay. Next holiday, Leviticus 23.6. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Timing the next day. Right? Previous was the 14th day. Now we're at the 15th day of the same month. All right? Uh, distinguishing features, eating unleavened bread. Don't you love this stuff? <laughs> uh, that's unleavened bread, right? It kind of looks like a cracker. It kind of tastes like a cracker, maybe with less flavor than a cracker. And that's what you're supposed to eat, by the way, for a whole week, right? If, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you're going to try to find... I mean, if, if you were a Jew in those days, believing the Bible, believing the law of Moses... Right? For a whole week, that's what you're eating. Now, you can eat other things, but not bread or cakes or cookies and any, any of that stuff. Right? Because those have what in them? They have leaven. Right? Yeast. Right? That's the same thing. Right? So, distinguishing feature. What's the purpose? Well, it was a reminder. Um, I struggle with this one a little bit because God tells him to do it before it happens. But then he explains it, saying... This is what had to happen because you didn't have time for the bread to rise. So in those days, the leavening process, I, I think, took longer. They didn't have the same quality yeast we have today or the ideal conditions. So it would take maybe three days for bread to rise. And they didn't have time because as the Egyptians were dying off from this plague, they came to the Jews and said, you guys need to get out now before we're all dead. Right? So the Jews had to take what they had and leave, which means you can't wait three days for your bread to rise, which means you're going to be eating unleavened bread for the next several days, in this case a week. Right? Um, now, what's, in what way was this fulfilled by Christ? We have for us verses that um, explain that in... I got my pages out of order here. You guys may get the verse before I do. Oh, there you go. First Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lamp, lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here we're told that Christ was the Passover, and now we are to live out the feast of unleavened bread, because we ourselves are now the unleavened bread. Now, in the scripture, leaven is a picture of sin. And what this talks about is Christ did something wonderful when he saves us. He didn't just save us from the judgment of God against our sin. He actually saves us from our sins, right? It says, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, right? Now, what, the way this works out, uh, you know, 
again, you could put at least a sermon into that subject, uh, is uh, he gives us a new nature. He gives us a desire to do the things that please God. He takes away our old nature. The Bible says he crucifies it. He gives us the Holy Spirit, a desire to live a life pleasing to God. And what this is talking about, because Christ has done this for us, we now really ought to live in that way. We ought to live as an unleavened bread, meaning a person without sin. Now, we know we're not perfect. We're all going to sin. But as the Lord exposes or reveals an area of sin in our life, we are to put it away, right? That's what this passage is talking about. And therefore, that's the application for, the, for, for this particular holiday. Today, we should be uh, seeking out the leaven, or at least as it's exposed in our life, as sin is exposed in our life, uh, go ahead and put it away. Um, when I was saved, uh, I heard Bill say something like, I have a good bonfire. And what Bill meant by that is, you know, there's a lot of stuff in your old life that doesn't belong, and it needs to be just, you know, destroyed, if you would. And it was true. I, had, uh, I enjoyed listening to, uh, you know, ABBA music before I was saved, and uh, some other music that really wasn't very godly. There were a lot of things. Now, this is nothing personal against ABBA. If you love ABBA, you know, we'll talk later. But... Uh, you know, I, I, I felt I needed to, to just get rid of those, right? And not just, you know, find the best price on the market for them, but, you know, if they're not good for me, they're not good for anybody, right? They had to go in the trash. So in a similar way, if there's something in your old life that you know is bad, you know, put it away, get rid of it. Okay. Um, next feast... is Leviticus 23, verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. This one, the timing is a little bit tricky. It basically says, after you get the first fruits of your land, so if there's a picture, uh, you know, the first head of grain is ready. You know, what would you think of doing? Right? Eat it. I've been waiting all winter for something fresh. No, you're going to take that to the Lord. Right? I mean, that's, that's basically what it is. But the timing-wise, it just says, the day after the Sabbath, so it could be, you know, whenever the fruit comes for the first time, well, you know, go Sunday, the following Sunday, you need to come to the priest and the priest will wave it, right? Now, it seems that historically this has been assumed to be the first Sunday after Passover, which will generally be true, right? Because that is when plants start coming out and there's a chance that you'll actually have the first fruits of the land. So you can take it as the Sunday, first Sunday after the Passover, at least historically, that's how it's been taken. Um, okay, distinguishing feature, I already said, you take the first thing that come out of the ground, you're going to present that to the Lord. Uh, purpose, does, um, again, you could, you could probably have more than a, a single interpretation. I take it as a, an act of faith, right? I mean, if you were thinking, I may never get any more, this might be all com that's coming to me this year, you'll have a really hard time giving that to the Lord, right? But if you're saying, Lord, 
I'm expecting a full harvest, right? And this is yours, right? It's kind of like an act, act of faith or hope. This is in hope of what's, what's to come, right? Now, fulfillment in Christ, you could go to 1 Corinthians 15. Chapter 15, sorry, verse 20. But now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. So here it talks about Jesus being the firstfruit of those who have uh, fallen asleep, or rather uh, those who have died. Right? So what are we expecting? Right? People are dying all the time. Right? It's been the human condition since Adam and Eve decided to take the fruit that God told them not to eat, God said, in the day you will eat of it, you will die. And then Adam died. And you know what happened to his children? They died. And their children, they died. All the way to today, people are just dying. And best as our eye can see, they remain dead. But that was not God's intention. Right? His intention was for people to live forever with him in heaven. Right? And even those people who will not live for, for, with him forever in heaven are not going to stay in the grave. They're going to rise from the dead also, and they'll have to answer to God for their sins. They'll be separated from God forever in the lake of fire. Right? So this state of death that we think is so inevitable and so permanent is really temporary. People are not going to stay dead. The Bible is very clear about it. But Christ is the first fruits. He is the first one who rose from the dead to demonstrate that God will raise everybody else from the dead as well. And just as the Jews, you know, would lift up this, you know, sheaf of grain, you know, it's coming. You can, if you would, look at the resurrection and say, it is coming. People are going to rise from the dead. And uh, I will have a glorified body and I'll be with God for all of eternity as a result of Jesus rising from the dead, right? It's a demonstration, it is the proof, it is the sign of hope for all of us. Now, what's the application? So one application is you can rejoice in that, right? It is the Christian hope. All the difficulties that we encounter in this life should pale in comparison to it, right? To having our new body and being with Christ uh, for eternity. So it's supposed to encourage us in our difficult times, which we all have, by the way. But, uh, it's, I think it's also a reminder to live for the future, right? I mean, this body is temporary. I don't want to live for this body's needs because this body is not going to last, right? I want to live for something that I will value in the future, if you would, in the new body uh, that I will have, right? It says, uh, set not your mind, I think it says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, uh, I think, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right? That's why we should be setting our mind on things above. Okay. 
Next feast, Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. So timing, uh, this is, it says count seven weeks. Right? Seven weeks is 49 days. After the previous feast, which was, if you would, the feast of the first fruits, or where they, they were supposed to bring that first sheave. <coughs> uh, by the way, it coincides with another day that you may recognize called Pentecost. Right? Pentecost literally means the 50th day. So if you count the first day and the last day, that is the 50th day. Uh, and that'll be a hint as we're looking for uh, how this was fulfilled in Christ. Now, um, distinguishing features. Now, it's not just a sheaf of grain we're talking about. Now, they're actually bringing flour and they're bringing baked bread. So it shows they're actually now enjoying the harvest. Before, they brought the very first piece of the harvest, just a hope of things to come. Well, now they're in the middle of enjoying it, right? Um, it has uh, two loaves of bread, which being interpreted to... Uh, I guess I'm kind of going ahead of myself. Okay, let's talk about how is this fulfilled in Christ. What happened on Pentecost? I'm sorry? Received the Holy Spirit. That's true. What started on that day? Right, the church. Right, so really the way this was fulfilled in Christ is the church. The church is the harvest. God is interested in people. Jesus said the Father is seeking such to worship him, who, those who can worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? That's what God, he's not interested in heads of grain. Right? <laughs> he's interested in souls, right? in people he created in his image to come and to worship him and to know him, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Right? That's what God is interested in. And the two loaves of bread may represent Jew and Gentile becoming one in the church. Right? Okay, um, application, I was thinking of uh, what Jesus said to his disciples after he had his uh, discussion with the woman at the well. We covered that recently in our class. Jesus says, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. What field was he looking at? Right, there, there, there were people coming out of the Samaritan city, right? The Samaritan woman went and told them, come see a man who told me all that I ever did, all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they came out, and people are streaming out of that city to meet him. And he's taking his disciples, and he says, look, you know, the fields are ripe for harvest. And uh, he continues and says, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps 
may rejoice together. And what I think Jesus is doing here is inviting us to partake in this harvest, right? He who reaps receives wages. Do you want to receive wages? Do you want to get paid? Well, you know, reap, right? Meaning join in this work of harvest that the Lord uh, is doing. Uh, he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. The rewards are eternal, right? I can offer you a job today, but let me tell you, the rewards are not eternal unless it is the, the work of the Lord. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Now, there's a problem, you know, when we're witnessing to people, we don't often see results, right? A lot of time, all we're doing is we're sowing seeds, right? But Jesus says, he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice. Somebody else may reap, right? You might be witnessing to somebody, and uh, somebody else may be the reaper. He may be the person who comes, and that's when the person is, you've been witnessing to is ready, and that person gets saved. I'm like, ah, I missed that. You know, it should have been me. No! <laughs> you will rejoice in heaven together with this other person, right? It's, it's a shared, shared joy, shared reward. Okay, uh, next holiday is in uh, Leviticus 23, 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, in the, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Now, I don't know if you noticed the timing. We're now skipped all the way to the seventh month. Right? So it started the first month, and you had like boom, 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 three feasts right next to each other. Right? And then you had about a month and a half, right? 50 days or 49 days. And you have another feast. That's the Feast of the Weeks. And now you're going all the way to the opposite side of the year, the seventh month. So really half a year since you had the first three. And you'll notice, again, we have boom, boom, boom. We're going to have three more holidays just like that. Now, I, I kind of skipped over it, but each one of the first four holidays was specifically fulfilled by the Lord on that day. The Passover, well, Jesus was crucified on the Passover. Right? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, well, that starts immediately after that. Then the Feast of the First Fruits, Jesus rose from the dead, Right? The Sunday after the Passover, right on time. The church was born on the Feast of the Weeks, exactly on time. What do you think is going to happen on these other three days? Right? They're going to be fulfilled by the Lord. Now, I don't know exactly how each one of them will be fulfilled, but you know, I'll tell you what, it's going to be right, and it's going to be right on time. Right? And so as we think about these feasts, I, I can't say exactly what the Lord will do on these next three, but uh, we can at least pick what's the maybe main lesson from each of these holidays. And, and maybe it'll connect with the timing of what the Lord will do, which we cannot tell right now. But uh, so this one, the feast of, uh, I'm sorry, I call it, call it the feast. It's referred to... Um, as a memorial of blowing the trumpet. It's not actually called a feast. Not all of these are called feasts, but it is one of the holy days, things that they're supposed to do. It's a Sabbath of rest. They're not supposed to do any work, 
But uh, the distinguishing feature of this holiday is the blowing of the trumpets. I have a picture of somebody blowing a shofar or a ram's horn, which is probably what they used uh, for trumpets at the time. We're not told what the purpose of this was in the scripture. But the uh, sounding of the trumpets or blowing of the shofar was kind of an equivalent to an alarm, right? So if we have you know, a fire in this building, you know, these alarms would go off and we'll all evacuate, right? It's a sign that there's a danger, we have to act, right? So in a similar way, the blowing of the shofar was an alarm, something was happening, maybe the city comes under attack, maybe there's some other danger. You have to listen when the shofar is blown, when the trumpet is, is called, okay? Um, Okay, fulfillment in Christ. This one is a, maybe a difficult one because there's two that, that uh, I think people see in it. A uh, very typical one, people assume the blowing of the trumpet is, is when the Lord is coming down, it says it will be, uh, I think, with the, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's a trumpet blowing that we know is coming in the future that they were all waiting for, and we'd be just as happy if that's going to be on the, uh, you know, the day of blowing of the trumpet as any other day. Right? They, I, I see just two problems with that uh, interpretation. One is if that's true, then we know when Christ is coming back right, for the church. Right? We don't have to wonder, and, you know, 364 days of the year, there's only one day it could happen, right? which goes against what Jesus says. No one knows the day or the hour. Right? He can come today. Right? He can end this sermon early. Right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So that's one weakness. The other is um, the prophecies in the Old Testament typically concerned Israel. Right? So it, it would be you know, taking it a little bit out of context, in my opinion, to apply it to the church. But I mean, that's probably a little more subjective uh, of an argument. Uh, so what, what do I think it is? Well, the, the calling of a trumpet is a call of alarm. It's a warning to people of uh, the serious and grave consequence of ignoring whatever the trumpet is. Now, in this case, I believe it's uh, the, the danger of missing the salvation that Christ was offering. Right? I mean, to some extent, he, you could say he was blowing the trumpet when uh, he was on earth and warning people about the consequences of ignoring him. Right? It's very serious. Salvation is not optional. Right? You need to be saved. Right? It's not, well, it works for you, it doesn't work for me. You know, you be happy, I'll be happy. Great. Well, that, <laughs> it's not an option to be saved. Right? And uh, that's made very clear in uh, another calling of the trumpets, which is the one I'll assign to it. It's in Revelation chapter 11. And uh, Revelation, by the way, it's, it's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, there's a series of uh, plagues. Uh, the first, uh, we call them the seal plagues. They, in a, this, this book of really the revelation of Christ, of the judgment of God is being opened. Christ is the only one worthy to look into the book. And he's taking off the seals. And as he's taking off the seals, you have this judgment falling down on the earth. And then the, he takes the last seal, and then there's these seven angels appearing with trumpets. And they start calling out the trumpets. And as each trumpet is blown, a fresh judgment is falling upon the earth. Now, this is the seventh trumpet. 
in Revelations 11 and verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Brothers and sisters, we live in an age of grace where people are allowed to spit in God's face. But God will not allow that to continue forever. This world is coming to an end, a day in which people will not be able to spit in God's face. Right? They will be separated. Everyone who continues in their rejection of Christ will be in the lake of fire. And only those people who love and adore him will be in heaven with him and enjoy him. And Christ must sound warning. And that's what the, 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 <clears throat> these judgments that are falling down on the earth are designed to do, is to wake people up before it's too late. Look, here's the judgments of God falling upon your head. Do you really want to wait for the end to come without repenting and turning to Christ? Our application, obviously, would be to participate in that, right? We should sound the alarm, right? The end is coming. You know, they show these pictures of a person holding a sign, the end is coming, people ridiculing them, and, and we want no share of that, right? We don't want any of the shame. But it is coming. Salvation is not optional. This is real danger, right? People have one option, choosing Christ and being saved, or rejecting him and being damned for eternity. Okay, we're almost at the end. We have two more feasts. Leviticus 23, 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also, the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, and you shall do no work on that same day. For it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. <clears throat> so again, timing-wise, this is the 10th day of the seventh month. Remember, we had a series of, of, of holidays, then half a year. Now we have our next series of holidays. So the first day of the seventh month, you had the day of blowing the trumpets. Now it's the day of atonement. The uh, <clears throat> distinguishing features of this holiday, they were supposed to bring two goats, I think we have a picture on this one. Uh, one of them, they were going to just kill outright as a sin offering. And the other is they would uh, confess the sins of all of Israel on that one poor goat and then take it away into the wilderness. In a sense, if you would, removing the sins of Israel. 
uh, purpose uh, fairly obvious. It's dealing with Israel's sin. Uh, now, specifically, God was dwelling in the midst of Israel. So something they found out as soon as they left Egypt is that they had a big problem on their hand because God was holy and they were sinful. And immediately the judgments of God starts coming down upon the children of Israel. And they're experiencing his judgment. And then God gave them a solution in the form of the tabernacle. They had this tabernacle, this tent of meeting that they made. And in it there was a sacrificial system. Uh, and that's where God would dwell. He would be in the holy of holy place in the tabernacle. Now, the purpose of this feast was to cleanse the tabernacle, actually. So the problem is now, well, God is holy. He's in the tabernacle. Well, the tabernacle is surrounded by sinful people. We still need to do something. And uh, the solution God gave them is these two goats. Once a year, they were to do this in order to cleanse the tabernacle and, again, allow God to be with his people. Now, um, there's a suggestion here also of the cost. It's interesting. God says you shall afflict your cost. God wants them to realize how serious their sin problem is, you know, how difficult it is to deal with. And, um, and that's pictured in this, in this holiday. How is it fulfilled in Christ? Again, um, fairly uh, straightforward. Uh, probably the best-known verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible is clear that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. Right? The only thing that could ever take away sin was the blood of the Lord Jesus shed on the cross for us. God gave his son for us. Um, when I got engaged, I uh, purchased a ring for my wife. And, uh, and that's when I, I started hearing things like, uh, you know, turn three months or make three months last forever. Anybody knows what that's talking about? So the idea is you're supposed to spend three months of your salary on the ring that you will give your wife. And uh, either the diamond or maybe the, the marriage will last forever, right? So that's how you're turning your three months <laughs> Uh, making it three months last forever. Well, uh, why? Why should we spend so much money? Three months of your salary, average salary in three months, I think is like $70,000. So three months, that would be like, I don't know, $15,000. Why spend $15,000 on this thing? You know why? The ladies here know, because it shows them how much you love them. I mean, that's all it's about, okay? I mean, it looks pretty, but, you know, I can get you one made out of cubic zirconia that looks just as good. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost one-tenth of the price. And you will not be satisfied if you found out I got you cubic zirconia. Right? Why? Because it shows the limit of my love. I was willing to spend whatever, $1,000 instead of 10000 on you. Right? It shows how much you love. Well, how much does God love you? For God so loved the world that he gave three months of his salary for you. He gave his eternal son, right? The one he, he had an eternal relationship with for you. Okay, last feast. 
I acknowledge we're going a little bit over. Leviticus chapter 23. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, we're in verse 39. The 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in Booth for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in Booth, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in Booth when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So timing, this is the 15th day. Right, of the seventh month, so the very last feast in the Jewish calendar, again, just at the end of that second group of three. Uh, distinguishing features, they were supposed to collect all this nice kind of wood and build themselves booths, um, temporary shelters, and they were supposed to dwell in those booths for seven days. By the way, this should happen in Jerusalem. I think I have a picture for that. Um, and uh, so what's the purpose of living in this you know, tent-like structure for seven days. Well, he says, he says he wants them to know what he made the children of Israel do when they were with him in the wilderness. Uh, the uh, purpose was to really remind them of what it was like, right? And by the way, they're supposed to rejoice. You missed that word. This is, this is a good thing, right, to be hanging out with God. And uh, if you've been at Yosemite, I think you can appreciate it. There's a certain kind of fellowship you can have when you're living in a tent with a bunch of people and next to a bunch of people that you're not going to have when you're each living in your own home, maybe the next city over, right? Um, and that's what the Lord wanted to remember, is the kind of fellowship that they had with each other and the kind of fellowship that they had with him in the wilderness. God wanted them to, if you would, re-experience that for one week out of the year. We try to do that in Yosemite, by the way, if you haven't tried it. It's a fun, uh, we have a good time there together. Well, fulfillment in Christ, uh, this is really the end goal, right, when we're talking about salvation. You know, heaven is not an escape from hell, right? Heaven is about having a relationship with your creator. He made you for the specific reason of knowing him and having a relationship with him. And that's what you get to enjoy in heaven. Now, let me just add this as we close and think of the application here. It's uh, notable to me in this verse, that uh, this passage, that it's not just fellowship with God, it's fellowship with each other that's going on here. And um, it reminds me of a verse in 1 John uh, 1.3. John is saying, giving here the reason of really why he's been preaching the gospel or telling people about Jesus. He says, that which we have seen and heard, that's the gospel of Jesus, we declare to you, that's the people he's sharing it with, that you also may have fellowship with us, 
and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So Paul is really inviting people to join in the fellowship that the believers are having, and he says it's not just us, you know, uh, it's God himself is in the midst of our fellowship, right? And praise, praise God, you know, it's not just us, right? You know, the Lord is here too. We're enjoying fellowship with him as well at the same time. But uh, we tend, and I know this is very true of me, uh, we live in a, such an independent society, individualistic, we tend to think that it's something we can do on our own, right? You know, I can just have fellowship with God on myself. I don't need the rest of you guys with me, right? Well, it doesn't fit with what the scripture says. You know, it may sound nice that I can just have fellowship with God all on my own. And I'm not saying that we can't have precious times with the Lord together, you know, in reading his word and, and prayer uh, and singing. I mean, you could certainly enjoy the Lord on yourself, but your fellowship will not be complete by yourself. Why? Because God doesn't give you enough of himself just for you, right? He gives gifts to men, meaning, oh, and women, right? Every person receives something from the Lord. I, I receive certain, uh, certain knowledge of the Lord as I read his word and as I experience different experiences, and he gives me gifts through his Holy Spirit. And he does the same with you. But if I keep what I have for myself and you keep what you have for yourself, we're both the poorer for it. If we join together and we share, I, I like what Sam said at the breaking of bread, that he was having dinner with some people and each shared something different they appreciated about God. That's what it is about. It's sharing what God has given you with me and me sharing what God has given me with you. And that allows our enjoyment of God to become the full enjoyment of God that he wants us to have. God is the one who created relationships between people, right? He created the marriage relationship. He created the father, mother, children relationship because there's something we're supposed to learn <laughs> through those relationships. And you know what? There's something we're supposed to learn from each other as we have a relationship with each other. Let me close with this verse, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this uh, brief look at the fullness of your salvation as we consider the Jewish feasts. Lord, we know that uh, there was much more that could have been said to your glory, but uh, we rejoice that uh, you are the fulfillment of all these feasts, and we can enjoy all things through an intimate knowledge of you. Thank you, for, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, uh, fellowship you've given me with them, Lord, and I I uh, just pray that you might increase our love more and more toward each other and toward you, that we might know you in the fullness that you would have us know you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.